0: My first flare-up was around 2007-2008.
1: A flare-up is also known as an exacerbation. If you've been following along with our series, you'll have heard them mentioned already. If not, we recommend you start from episode one.
0: Oh my goodness. A flare-up has got to be one of the worst things in the world. It is the most debilitating feeling one can ever have. You can't get from one step to the next without trying to catch your breath.
1: The bad news is that flare-ups aren't entirely preventable. People with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD, can expect to experience them at least a few times in their life. But the good news is they can be treated, and there are things you can do to reduce their severity and frequency. So in this episode, we'll talk about all things exacerbations, what they look like, what can be done about them, and what to expect if one lands you in the hospital.
0: I have a 24-hour period. If I can't get my body opened and my airways opened in 24 hours, it's time to go to the hospital.
1: This is the COPD Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Arneson.
2: COPD exacerbation is any kind of flare-up that's above your baseline symptoms.
1: Mike Hess is a respiratory therapist. Exacerbations are usually caused by lung infections, which can be triggered by germs, viruses, and other irritants.
2: One of those big triggers is getting a cold, or flu, or pneumonia. There are a lot of people who are sensitive to certain allergens, pollens, fumes, perfume, things like changes in barometric pressure or humidity.
1: And of course, smoke particles and other pollutants can trigger lung infections which is just one reason why people with COPD shouldn't smoke and should avoid situations where others are smoking. So what does an exacerbation look like?
2: It could be an increase in in how often you're coughing. It could be an increase in how much you're bringing up, increase in shortness of breath or reduced activity tolerance.
0: I wheeze because I have an asthma component to my COPD. It's almost like if you're trying to get air sucked through a straw.
1: Because people experience COPD differently, there is a range of symptoms that can signal a flare-up. And for some people, like Gene Ramos, symptoms can even change from episode to episode.
3: It is a real spectrum, for me anyway. Mine can be as simple as, I'm going to cough more than I usually do. But If all of a sudden I'm starting to cough, and I can feel that post-nasal drip just sort of going right down the back of your throat, those things lead up to the change in the color of the mucus. And sometimes that's also accompanied by the fact that I need a little more oxygen than I usually do. I had one where I ran a low-grade temperature for 12 days in a
2: row. Each exacerbation can look a little bit different. Listen to your body, listen to your gut instinct, don't be concerned about being the person that cries wolf. The earlier we catch a lot of these things, the easier they are to treat.
1: There are a few dangerous warning signs, which should prompt you to call emergency services immediately. These include confusion, disorientation, slurring of speech, blue color in lips or fingers, chest pain, or shortness of breath so severe that you can't talk. But as Mike said, if you're at all concerned or have any questions, talk to your qualified healthcare provider. Don't rely on what you hear on this podcast. It is not a substitute for formal medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This show serves to provide information, because knowledge is power.
0: If you sort of look across our population of COPD patients, some are more likely to have exacerbations, others are not.
1: That's Dr. David Menino, a pulmonologist, and he says that while no one is immune to flare-ups, some people seem to have more of them than others. It's not totally clear why, but one thing is for sure.
0: Certainly, one of the biggest predictors of future exacerbations is a history of recent exacerbations. That's why we tend to treat these more aggressively.
1: Aggressive treatment is important because flare ups can have a cumulative impact and reduce lung function over time. We talked about medications in episode two with another pulmonologist, Dr. Mina Persida.
4: Inhalers and oral medications are generally the mainstay of therapy. The other medications that we use that aren't inhalers are trying to reduce exacerbations. One of them is meant for people who have more than two flares per year, but also have chronic phlegm production. They take an oral pill every day. The other medication is actually an antibiotic, but we use it for its anti-inflammatory effects. And that's generally taken as a pill three times a week.
1: It's important that people coordinate with their care team about what treatment is right for them.
2: Everybody should be speaking with their clinician about what to do in case of exacerbation. Sometimes people will get a little kit that may have some antibiotics, steroids, extra inhaler medication, an nebulizer medication, and uh, have a plan to use those. I've got an arrangement with my doc. He makes
3: sure that I have antibiotics at home. If something happens in the color of the mucus that I cough up, changes color, that's when I start an antibiotic. And that's also when I call his office, I explain exactly what's going on. I tell them exactly what I'm doing about it. And my question always is, is there something
4: more you want me to do?
1: There are also proactive steps people can take to make sure they don't get too sick too often.
4: We really try and emphasize a healthy lifestyle. Take all the precautionary measures to stay healthy. Having good hand hygiene, wearing a mask if you're in public places.
2: Try to avoid any of your triggers. Annual vaccinations are an essential part of trying to avoid exacerbations.
1: And of course, a balanced diet, regular exercise, mental wellness, and good adherence to medication are all important to living a healthy lifestyle. A simple, easy way to keep track of medications, changes in condition, and what to do in the event of an exacerbation is the My COPD Action Plan, a free document from the COPD Foundation. Gene recommends it.
3: Having that written plan for most patients, I think, is really, really critical. Many patients haven't really thought about what preceded their exacerbation. What were the things, what were the red flags that they should have seen? Because you have to go back and think about that. The reason it's so important to know what those red flags are is that you do not want to get really, really,
1: really sick.
2: Sometimes if it does get bad enough, you end up having to head to the hospital.
1: Going to the hospital with an exacerbation can mean a few different things. Some people are given a new course of treatment and sent home to rest and recover. Others might need to stay overnight or for a few days for extra care, sometimes from respiratory therapists like Mike.
2: The birthplace of respiratory therapy was really the polio epidemic where we were helping folks who were stuck in the iron lungs making sure that they were breathing properly. And then we eventually grew into a lot of other therapies, providing oxygen to folks throughout the hospital, nebulizer medications, eventually mechanical ventilators, where you you might have the tube down your throat and the machine helping you breathe.
1: Oxygen therapy gives people who are struggling to breathe a little extra oxygen, and it's commonly prescribed to treat an exacerbation. We talked about it in episode three with Dr. Persida, but to recap, oxygen usually comes in a tank, and it can be delivered through a face mask or a little hose that sits in the nostrils called a nasal cannula.
4: There is also what we'd call non-invasive therapy, which is really like a breathing machine. Breathing machines
1: help keep your airways open and make it easier for your lungs to work. There are two main kinds, a BiPAP, which is actually a trademarked name by Phillips Respironics in the U.S.,
4: and a CPAP. A BiPAP has two pressure settings, one when you're breathing in and one when you're breathing out to make sure that you're moving air appropriately. A CPAP machine, there's just one pressure that the patient is experiencing, and that is making sure that the airways stay open. BiPAP and
1: CPAP machines use a mask that fits over your nose and mouth. But as Mike said, sometimes people temporarily need mechanical ventilation. A tube is inserted through the mouth or nose, directly into the lungs, and a provider will prescribe medication to help the person relax and sleep. In more serious cases, surgery might be necessary. Hospital stays can last a day or two or a week or even longer, depending on the severity of someone's condition. The COPD Foundation recommends that you always bring an updated list of your medications and allergies, the name and contact information of someone you trust to help make decisions, and a copy of your living will or medical power of attorney. Let's fast forward to when you're feeling better and ready to go home. What's next?
3: for many people, they go in the hospital and they've got a routine of medications that they're using and the hospital puts them on something else. Maybe the same medications, but a different manufacturer.
1: Jean has made this transition from hospital to home before and she and other people with COPD are advised to make sure they understand any changes to their medication regimen and schedule a follow-up visit with their primary care provider and ideally a pulmonologist too.
3: I was lucky enough that the person I dealt with in the hospital was the doctor that I'd been dealing with all along. Now that doesn't happen as much anymore. You're dealing with hospitalists. So part of what they're gonna tell you is call your doctor and make an appointment.
1: Ensuring that you and the members of your care team are on the same page is important for COPD management generally and particularly after an exacerbation. But if you're feeling overwhelmed, know that you don't have to face these changes alone. Loved ones and caregivers are a great resource as our medical staff, like respiratory therapist Stephanie Williams.
3: Now, a lot of hospitals have transition teams that will help the person get all the equipment they need at home, teach them how to use their medications, when to use their medications, how to utilize oxygen and manage their COPD so that they don't end up coming right back to the hospital with another flare-up.
1: And if you love someone with COPD and are feeling anxious or fearful about their condition... Hospital transition teams and other health professionals are there to help you too.
3: If you recognize in yourself that you can't do it all, what a brave thing to say. Caregivers do bear a lot of responsibility and a lot of stress, and they need somewhere where they can also share those feelings. There's no shame in getting help.
1: Support groups like COPD360 Social, run by the COPD Foundation, are open to anyone affected by COPD to talk about anything related to lung disease. More information about hospitalization and making the transition back home, including a helpful list of questions to ask your hospitalists and other providers, can be found on the COPD Foundation's website, where you can also access the My COPD Action Plan. If you want to learn more about flare-ups, WebMD and Healthline are trusted resources. Links to these sites and more are on our website, healthunmuted.com. And we'll also repost links from episodes two and three, where we talked more about medications and oxygen therapy. We've covered a lot in this series, from causes and symptoms to treatments and living well with lung disease. And we encourage you to refer back to these episodes as you continue in your journey with COPD. This is the fifth and final episode for now. Follow and share this series and check out our website at healthunmuted.com for bonus content and updates as we add more shows about other health conditions. We'd love your input too, so please visit healthunmuted.com slash feedback to tell us what you thought of this show and what you'd like to hear next. Before we sign off, here's the final message from Jan.
0: I want every copd dear to know they're not alone. I want them to know that they can be their own best advocate. This is not a death sentence. It's a slower pace, but that's okay. It's okay. Let's live each day that we have been given on this earth and do something positive.
1: Thanks so much for listening. This is the COPD Podcast. This show is part of the Health Unmuted audio library by Mission Based Media and was created in collaboration with the COPD Foundation. The COPD Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by me, Michaela Arneson. Sound design is by Ivan Yurich. Our executive producer is Dan Kendall, and Chris Hemmings is our associate editor. Many thanks to Jan Cotton and Jean Ramos for sharing their personal experiences with COPD, and to our guest experts, Mike Hess, Dr. David Menino, Dr. Mina Persida, and Stephanie Williams for sharing their medical expertise.